Mario Cristobal. He gets an F for year number one. It's no disrespect. Love Mario Cristobal. Respect Mario Cristobal. But five and seven is not something that you're ever going to be comfortable with, given the fact that he brought so much attention and so much excitement to South Florida when he became the head coach. Hello, welcome to Always College Football. Today is Wednesday, February 8th. Hope you're having an excellent day. Midway point, week two of February. We're dialed in, man, deep in the offseason. But I feel like we haven't had much of a chance to really go back through and dial in to what the first year head coaches did. And I wanted to put some grades to it, like A's, B's, C's, D's. Maybe go through it a little bit if you do. If you'll just indulge me. I feel like there were so many. There were a million, by the way. Like as I went back through my list and looked through all the year one coaches for 2022, there were a million. So we've talked a little bit previous episodes about pressure and all these other things. I want to assess just a letter grade where those guys are at at this moment and where they could be going coming up here in 2023. But we're going to put 2022 to bed for a moment. We're going to start to spin it forward, but we're still in some ways, we're in that no man's land, still looking back just ever so slightly on last year. But I feel like we haven't really had the chance to properly sum up what these guys have done. So we're going to take that opportunity today. We're also going to get into the mailbag. Why? Because we love the mailbag and we haven't had a chance to do that just yet. So we're going to take a chance to get into some of that, answer a question or two from you. Depending on how much time we have, we're going to make sure that we interact with our listeners like we always do. And we're very grateful to the questions that you've submitted up to this point. So let's not waste any time. Let's get to year one coaching reviews from the 22 season. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. All right, let's put some letter grades to year one coaches for 2022. Now, some people might be up in arms. I'm not doing plus minus system. Like in McElroy world, you get, you're either an A student, a B student, a C student, a D student, or a failing student. Like, there is no, oh, well, you were almost an A, so let's give you a B plus. Like, no, you're an A, B, C, D, or E. So you get letter grades here. There are no pluses and minuses. Don't give me that nonsense. I remember when I got an A minus or B plus or a B minus or whatever. I'm like, the heck does that mean? Like, just tell, like, is a B plus if I were to grade on a scale of one to a hundred? Is that like a, is that like an 88? Like, what, what is that? 87? When does a, when does a B become a B plus? Like, tell me that. 
I never understood it. So I digress. That's my little nerd, my little nerd wormhole for a minute. But I gave them letter grades. All right, here's your A's. And there were a bunch of them. Guys, for the most part, when you really look at the 2021-22 college coaching carousel, dude, a lot of these programs nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Now, we're one year in. I mean, they could fall flat on their face year two, and we might feel differently a year from now, in which case we will revisit these coaches a year from now and say, well, here's year three coaches. Here's their first two years. Let's sum it up with a letter grade. We'll do it then. But right now, let's look at where these coaches stand today. Here's your ace, Sonny Dykes. Do I really need to say a whole lot more? The guy went 13-2, and two, took TCU to the national championship. It's the best first-year coaching job of the modern era. Now, some people might disagree. Some people might have someone else as the number one. Does it really matter? No, either way, Dykes was remarkable this year. Did a great job of bringing along Max Duggan, did a great job of establishing a culture, and did a really good job of taking a Big 12 team to the precipice of the game. First time it's been done in a national championship setting in a very long time. So Sonny Dykes, of course, Gets an A. Let's go to Lincoln Riley. He gets an A as well. Now, people say, well, what about the defense? He fell flat on the biggest stage. He almost went to the national championship semifinals, and he he didn't do it. He couldn't do it. Fair. But he inherited, guys. He inherited a team that went 4-8. and Let's let's acknowledge from 4-8 and to a Pac-12 title game berth within a win of getting to the college football playoff. And he led his quarterback to the Heisman Trophy as he had. He continues to cement... What has long been considered continues to cement home the idea that he might be the best developer and the best play caller for quarterbacks in the country. You play for Lincoln Riley, guess what? You're in the Heisman mix. Pretty good situation to be in if you're Caleb Williams coming back with already one Heisman on your mantle in hopes of maybe joining Archie Griffin as a guy that's done it again. He's already established it in one year. He improved by seven wins over the previous year. Yes, it was disappointing in the final two games of the year. Yes, I hated the way they finished in the Cotton Bowl. Either way, Lincoln Riley, if you're going to give him anything other than an A compared to what they were the year before, it'd be difficult for me to see eye to eye with you. Let's go to Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly finishing the season 10 and 4 was ridiculous. Like a lot of people were, you know, poking fun at Brian Kelly a year ago this time. Like he's not going to fit. He's got the, you know, family, all this other nonsense. Okay. But the guy can flat out coach football. And we know this. All right. They were picked to finish fifth in the SEC West in the preseason. They captured the division for the first time since 2019 and beat Alabama at Tiger Stadium for the first time since 2010. Okay. So it's been a while since they've taken care of business against the tide and LSU was one of those situations where they were this close. And you look at how they finished too. They might be poised to repeat this upcoming year with some of the pieces they've brought in and some of the guys that decided to return. They might be well positioned. This is not going to be a one-year thing. Brian Kelly's about to have this thing rolling, or at least it feels that way at the moment. All right, so he, of course, gets an A. Let's go to Mike Elko at Duke. You might be thinking, well, Duke, I mean, when Elko was hired, a lot of us were like, man, of all the jobs, why that one? You know, like, gosh, just, I love Mike Elko. I think he's a great defensive mind. Man, you can't win at Duke. Well, he proved in year one, not only can you win, but you can get back pretty quickly. Now, I think in some ways, a little bit similar to TCU, where you had had a long tenured head coach, things had gotten a touch stale, and then in comes Mike Elko, in comes Sonny Dykes, 
they put this newfound enthusiasm and next thing you know, the guys start playing their tails off. But to go nine and four at Duke is not something that is easily done. They haven't done it since 2014 and they made significant improvements on both sides of the ball and found themselves a star at quarterback in Riley Leonard. So I think that when you look at Mike Elko, you can make a case. He had as good of a coaching job as anybody in the entire country in his first year on the job there in Durham, North Carolina. Let's go out to West Texas. Joey McGuire also gets an A. Now, a lot of people saw, you know, when this happened, like, hey, man, I'm really a high school coach. You know, I, I'm not sure this is, you know, the, the right direction. I mean, Texas Tech's got money. They got people that will invest in the program. Like, they got what you need. They have access to talent, but they've just kind of fallen on hard times. They've just been inconsistent for a while. Well, He's already gone out on the recruiting trail, made his presence felt. He got the guys playing with another level of urgency that we hadn't seen in quite a while. And I got to be honest, it's probably the best looking Texas Tech offseason heading into an upcoming season. The best one in what, 10 years? Maybe longer, maybe 15 years. I mean, I haven't been this jazzed about the Red Raiders in a really long time in February. Joey McGuire not only has people cooking as far as their investments concerned, they got NIL that's rolling right now. He's been able to create an unbelievable relationship with all the different high school coaches in the state of Texas. So now some of their top guys are considering Texas Tech when that wasn't the case under the previous two regimes. I think there's a lot to like about what Joey McGuire did in year number one, which is why he is also going to be given an A for his performance. Let's go to Kalen DeBoer out on the West Coast as we navigate West just a little bit. Look, Washington, we talk so much in the West Coast about, well, look what Lincoln Riley did. He inherited a 4-8 and eight team, and look at how they just improved and improved and improved and got to 11 wins. How come nobody talks about Kalen DeBoer? I mean, nobody talks to Kalen DeBoer. And if you, if you think about, if you take away the road loss, a weird road loss, I might add, against Arizona State. And by the way, a place where Washington has just had a difficult time in the past. Go to Arizona State, it's like Washington always plays their worst game of the year. If you take that performance away, we're here in a situation where Washington would have been in the Pac-12 championship game and had an outside chance of potentially getting to the college football playoffs. So their best season since 2016 when they made the playoffs and they've established themselves with Michael Penix returning as a legitimate college football playoff contender here in 2023. A for Kalen DeBoer in year number one. Moving into the group of five quickly, I gave Jim Mora at UConn an A. Do I really need to explain? Between 2018 and 2021, UConn won four games. All right, They got to a bowl game here for the first time since 2015. And it's only the second time since UConn was a member of the Big East. All right, So th this is like a long time ago since UConn's been in the postseason. Jim Mora got him there. In year number one, he gets an A. I'm also going to give an A to Jerry Kill, another program that was off the grid. New Mexico State, I mean, it might have taken a waiver to get there. But if you look at the fact that he led New Mexico State to seven wins, that is insanely impressive. Just their second bowl victory since 1960 and more than the last three years combined in his victories. All right, seven wins, more than the last three years combined. So Jerry Kill did everything that you could possibly imagine. He gets an A as well. And then finally, not to be outdone, John Summerall at Troy. Year number one, 40 years old, a little unorthodox. But if you look at what he's been able to do, inherited a team that was five and seven, goes 12 and two, knocks off UTSA in the bowl game, finishes 
in the top 25. And this joins Willie Fritz and Jeff Trailer as the only three headlining coaches in the group of five heading for him. These guys are a little bit right now. I'm not saying they're in a league of their own, but they have clearly kind of established themselves. All right, these three guys, they got to go and they're guys to watch at their respective programs in the group of five going forward. So John Summerall, a remarkably good first year. Let's get to the Bs, okay? Everyone I just listed, they're in the A's. Let's get to the Bs. Marcus Freeman, we'll start with him. Now, it got off to a little bit of a tricky start. We've already addressed the losses to Marshall. It's no shame in losing to Ohio State, I might add. But the losses to Marshall and to Stanford are inexcusable. They are. They're, they're difficult to even wrap your head around. You lose to Ohio State, you lose to USC, fine. You can live with that. But you cannot have the slip-ups in week two and then there in the middle of the season. Just can't happen. Absolutely cannot happen. But you win six of the last seven with a backup quarterback and you bring in a very solid recruiting class. Look, it's a B. Not bad. Not great, but a B performance for Marcus Freeman in year number one. Now we'll see what he does here in year number two. Let's go to Dan Lanning. A little bit similar to Marcus Freeman in the sense that their first start, their first games, if you will, not a great feeling. Then you lose two of your last three regular season games to squander a trip to the Pac-12 championship. You lose to your rival in Oregon State. That's a difficult thing to kind of deal with, but you got Bo Nix to return and you did so in spite of losing your offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State. So I think that not only does Dan Lanning get an A for how his team played in the middle of the year, or if it was only the middle of the year, he'd get an A. But if you take into account how he started and how he finished, it's difficult to kind of wrap your head around. Still 10 wins in your first season. Very, very solid have him as a B. Let's go to Jake Dickert at Washington State. I also have him as a B. Now you're going to say, well, Washington State went seven and six. How can you possibly look at that performance and give him a B? Understandable. I get where you're coming from. But you think about the fact that they had a very strong start to the season. And they, they really didn't have a bad loss. You look at who they lost to. Okay, Fresno in the bowl game. Handful of other... Go look and, and take 30 seconds. If you're in the car, pull over and just look up Washington State's losses. Everyone they lost to was a legit team. And they had a couple teams on the ropes and just couldn't finish. Let's hope they can do it here in year number two. Jake Dickert does have to obviously replace some key pieces on his coaching staff, but he should be able to do that because it feels like the culture is fairly strong. I called their bowl game. It feels like their culture is very, very strong, at least within, given the challenges that they've had the last couple seasons. Let's go to the group of five quickly for coaches that received a B. I gave Clay Helton at Georgia Southern, gave him a B basically because of one performance. That was the win against Nebraska. Solid win whatsoever, but they really had a chance. They lost some, sure. Six and seven, not ideal, but they almost won every game. And I'm not saying close losses. I mean, close outcomes, not what you're looking for. Like the team that lost by the fewest still lost. So I don't really care about moral victories, but still, I thought Georgia Southern showed some signs of life, even though it was a pretty significant shift philosophically to what they became now under Clay Helton. And then number two, as a B performer in the group of five, I'm giving one to Brett Lashley. Seven and six, the offense continued to play at an insanely high level. Almost beat TCU, almost beat Maryland in non-conference play, but you lose badly to Tulane and UCF. That made it a little bit more difficult to kind of feel great about where the program's at. Probably a little bit closer to a C than an A, but either way, Rhett Lashley deserving of a B grade here 
in year number one. Let's get to the C's, okay? A few more in this category than I'd like to see in the future. One in the new year, or one in, excuse me, the power five, Billy Napier. He gets a C in year number one. You're gonna say, how does he get a C? It should be a D or an F. Fair enough, understandable. But I felt like there was enough based on what they did in week one against Utah to feel pretty good about what the season looked like. Yes, six and seven is never what you want to see. You want to see a lot of quality moments. You want to see a team get better as the season goes along. Unfortunately for Florida, their best moment came week one. But that week one moment was one of the better moments of the season. If you look at where Utah was at points in the year, I mean, Utah was a legitimate college football playoff contender if you take away the Florida game. So Florida still had, I'm not saying it's a signature win, but it is a win that people will be talking about for quite a while around Gainesville and around the state of Florida for quite some time. You look at what he's got coming up this upcoming year, insanely difficult, all right? Insanely difficult. So you look at what they could do. You look at the game against South Carolina. They're competitive against Florida State. They're competitive against LSU. There were some good moments in there. It's just they didn't finish the way they need to finish at times. And hopefully that's a step that they can take in year number two under Billy Napier. Also followed it up with a fairly decent recruiting class under the circumstances, even though so many people want to talk about the Jaden Rashada situation. You look at some of the pieces that they added. Still a pretty good nucleus to build with moving forward. Let's go to Joe Moorhead at Akron. Went 2-10. and 10. There was unlikely to see that things were going to really look good. But you look at how they played in the second half of the season. It was a team that got a whole heck of a lot better. So passing grade for Joe Moorhead, but not one that I want to hang a banner about in my first season at Akron. I'm going to say Mike McIntyre at FIU also. Not a great year by any stretch of the imagination, but they did take care of business against bad teams, and that's something that they hadn't done as well. They also were pretty competitive against some good teams, so got to win some of those games next year, and hopefully Mike McIntyre gets back into the postseason. Timmy Chang, honestly inherited a complete dumpster fire at Hawaii, went 3-10, and 10, beat a pair of FBS foes, and played four of the games within one score. And the, considering the situation that he stepped into with Todd Graham being unceremoniously let go and resigning and leaving, and it's just, it was a mess. He was able to unify a little bit. Even though they weren't good, they at least hung on at times and did a few nice things. So I give him a passing grade of C. And then finally, Stan Drayton of Temple. Look, they were... Projected as one of the worst teams in the country. And, and they were. They were not a good team by any stretch of the imagination. But there were moments in which they fought hard. They lost four games by one score. They finished three and nine. If they could flip maybe half those games, they'll be on the cusp of bowl eligibility in 2023. Let's move now to the Ds. Just four in the D category, all of which from the group of five. We'll go through them quickly. Jay Norvell, not good. At Colorado State, by any stretch of the imagination, you didn't do what you needed to do whatsoever. Michael DeSormo at Louisiana went six and seven after inheriting a situation at Louisiana that was pretty solid. I'm not going to say it was totally on him, though. I almost put DeSormo in the C category. I just couldn't quite do it, given the fact that they finished below 500 for the first time in a while. Sonny Cumbie at Louisiana Tech, also a guy there in the state of Louisiana that struggled a little bit in year number one. There really wasn't a whole lot of great moments. There also weren't a whole lot of bad moments. But either way, man, this is a place at Louisiana Tech where they've won in the past. You would like to see them get within striking distance of bowl eligibility. It did not happen in Sonny Cumbie's first season. And then Ken Wilson, it's not all his fault. 
You look at Ken Wilson inherited a situation in Nevada that was difficult. A lot of people were leaving and portal and it was it was tough. But two and ten, difficult to wrap your head around. Not an F, because he certainly inherited a bit of an empty cupboard, but would like to see a lot of progress here in year number two. If we get to the Fs, there's only three coaches that fall into the F category. And it's early, right? It's early. A lot of people are going to sit here and say, well, no. I mean, it's an impossible situation. Fair. And I just gave people Ds that finished 2 and 10, okay? And Cs that finished 2 and 10. I understand what you're saying. I get it. But the expectations at these places and the resources at these places are far better than that of Akron. So here are the F categories, all right? Mario Cristobal. He gets an F for year number one. It's no disrespect. Love Mario Cristobal. Respect Mario Cristobal. But five and seven is not something that you're ever going to be comfortable with, given the fact that he brought so much attention and so much excitement to South Florida when he became the head coach. Thought, man, he's going to be able to wave the magic wand. And I think there was a little bit of a tug of war there with how things were going. And I think that he did the best he could with what was a difficult spot. But you lose to Middle Tennessee. Uh, you fail to reach bowl eligibility for the first time in 16 years. You, you know, go five and three in the conference a year ago under Manny Diaz, you're outscored by 96 points in ACC play. Now with each of these three, I'm going to spin it towards the positive. Cristobal and Miami bring in the number seven recruiting class in the country. Some impact players that might start immediately and hopefully some guys that will be able to kind of jumpstart the culture there at the U for the foreseeable future. Brent Venables also receives an F. Unfortunately, I didn't want to give him an F, to be honest with you, because I felt felt like there were things that happened with him that were kind of out of his control. Quarterback injury, for instance, was a difficult situation. I didn't want to give any of these guys an F, to be honest with you. Like, I love all these guys, and I want the best for them. But it was a difficult spot for Venables. I mean, but we were told last year that he was actually an upgrade to Lincoln Riley and that Lincoln Riley had lost control of the program that they didn't defend. And they were like, I was told countless times that he was going to be better. And I, look, I wanted to believe it. We all did. But at this point, we just don't know. However, it's the worst program, worst season for the program in 25 years. You finished 49, nothing against Texas. Their defense, which is Brent Venable's calling card, finished 123rd in the country. Now the bar is excite exceedingly high. And I understand that Lincoln Riley went in and did not make it easier on Brent Venables because he took some of the best players that were at the program. So he took them with him. But you would think that this would be a team that would at least finished over 500. This would be a team that would at least be somewhat competitive against their biggest rival. And they just weren't in either one of those situations. So I'm very optimistic though, with what they brought in this upcoming season. They fortified the trenches. They went out and they signed the number four recruiting class this year. I think they're in a great position to take a huge step forward in 2023. And then finally, Brent Pry. He gets an F and he went three and eight this year. But you look at what happened. It, it was kind of a rock bottom situation. I mean, three wins was the worst by Virginia Tech since 1992. Now they're going heavy into the portal. They are heavy into the portal and they have plenty of ground to make up, obviously, in the ACC. But a little bit concerned right now, a little bit concerned with what Brett Pry was able to do. A lot of people, when he was hired, kind of wondered, all right, what's it going to look like? What does he want to be? What is the offense going to look like? Now, things were difficult under the previous staff. I think the transition was difficult. Either way, you got to hope that Brett Pry brings in the 39th recruiting class that's sixth best in the ACC. Hopefully they can continue to develop guys the way Virginia Tech has for years. And maybe here down the road, they'll be able to get very competitive again on a perennial basis there in the years to come. 
The one that I did not give a grade to because I think it was a very difficult situation was Tony Elliott. Tony Elliott, moments that were good, moments that were bad, and moments that were absolutely tragic. So I didn't think it was appropriate to give him a letter grade at the moment, but we will assess where that program is going at Virginia here in the months and years to come. All right, let's get to the mailbag. We always love interacting with you. We appreciate the questions that you send in, so continue to do so at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com or you can hit us up on our social media at alwayscfb on Instagram and on Twitter. Coos, what do we got? All right, first one coming in from Mike R. in Miami. The Canes just finished off a 5-7 and seven record, their first losing season since 2007, fired their OC, and their DC just left for Alabama. Is Miami in danger of having their own, quote, Scott Frost situation? A former player, can't miss coach, who somehow fails at their alma mater. I mean, are they in danger of that? Yes. I mean, everyone's in danger of that, right? I mean, (laughs) I also think, too, look at what Mario inherited, right? He inherited a situation where they let go of a fairly popular coach. And I think that when you let go of a coach that the guys really liked, and Manny Diaz looked universally loved. Like a lot of guys really have enjoyed playing for Manny Diaz. He empowers the defense. I think that they obviously, they made a shift in what they tried to be offensively. Josh Gaddis comes down with all these bells and whistles, all these accolades, having just won the assistant coach of the year and having won the Broyles Award at Michigan. He comes in, he tries to implement his style of offense, and it just didn't work for the quarterbacks that they had on the roster. So it made sense that maybe it just wasn't going to happen. And you think back to, I mean, everyone talks about the progression offensively. Yeah, well, Rhett Lashley's really good. I mean, we just talked about Rhett Lashley. He's an excellent offensive mind and has done a great job for a very long time and will continue to more than likely at SMU. So I, I think it's too early right now. I mean, Mario Cristobal needs to change the culture. He needs to get guys to buy in. And I called the game between them and Florida State. I called it. I saw it. And there were some guys that were not giving 100% effort in the fourth quarter of that football game. And that's just not acceptable when you think about the standard that has been set traditionally at Miami. So I happen to think he's going to be just fine. I happen to believe in Mario Cristobal. I believe in his process. I believe in how he's going to construct this roster. And I also appreciate, too, how he's attacked the portal. And I also think they have the NIL squared away. I think they know what they're doing in the modern day of college football. So I am cautiously optimistic that he's going to be just fine. So no, I'm not going to attach the Scott Frost label to him just yet, but there's always a risk of that being a real possibility. All right. Next one comes from Jack in Indiana. Of these three programs who got new head coaches in 2022, who will win a national championship first? And what are you willing to bet on it? Brian Kelly at LSU, Lincoln Riley at USC, or Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame? It's a great question. The first one that I would go with would be Brian Kelly. Uh, and it's, it's partly because of the place that he's at. And if you look at how they overachieved so significantly in year number one, no expectations were there for Brian Kelly. He picked to finish fifth in the West, beat Bama, got things taken care of. And the fact that his previous three coaches at LSU, Nick Saban in 2003, Les Miles in 2007, and obviously Ed Ogeron in 2019. Three previous coaches all won national championships and almost got to a handful as well. I mean, Les Miles got there in 2011. Like This is a program that has consistently been at the top of college football. Now you get a guy that maximizes the roster. 
I think they're in a pretty good spot. And remember, they lost their best player in the first game of the year in the first series on defense. Mason Smith, he is their best player and was lost for the year on like the fourth off fourth defensive snap of the year. Well, he comes back, now teamed up with Harold Perkins. You got an anchor on the inside, an anchor on the outside, and they're going to be great on defense. Jaden Daniels is back. Like I think they got a chance to make a run at it, maybe not this year, but at some point probably in the very near future. So I think Brian Kelly would be the first one that I think can get it done, understands complimentary football enough to be able to get it done. I'm comp- I believe very much in Lincoln Riley, but I still have my concerns about their ability to play complimentary football. And if they can't make a few adjustments every once in a while, will that ultimately continue to plague them in the postseason? That's something to keep in mind. And then as far as Marcus Freeman's concerned, it's really up in the air. At this point, I really just don't know. I'm confident that he can recruit. I'm confident that he's going to be able to have his guys playing as hard as humanly possible, running through a brick wall each and every week. But I can't tell you without a shadow of a doubt that Notre Dame, Marcus Freeman's the missing piece that's going to be able to get them not over the hump in the semifinal, but over the hump in the national championship as well. Just feels like the gap has been fairly significant between teams like Notre Dame. When they go into the playoff, the gap's been very wide. And I think... Pac-12, another example. When Pac-12 teams make the college football playoff both times, Oregon a million years ago, well, the other one was Washington in 2016. The gap between Washington that year and Alabama was massive. Now, Washington's defense was awesome, but I wasn't real confident that Washington's offense was going to be able to get a whole lot done back seven years ago when they made the postseason. So I think the gap in some leagues is just a little bit more significant, so we'll be able to better assess where Lincoln Riley's at when he gets to the Big Ten. Okay, but what are you going to bet on it? How much do I have to bet? $100? If that's At the confidence level, you're going to throw 100 Like, yes, Brian Kelly will win first? 1000 no, I feel fairly confident that if I had $100 and I could divvy it however I choose, I would take $100, all 100 I wouldn't cut it up whatsoever, and I'd put it on Brian Kelly to get it done. All right, final thought. We're going to go back handful of years from now, whether it be a year, two years, three years from now, we're going to revisit all of this. We're going to revisit all these coaches. Well, he got an A, he got a B after year one. But should you really be evaluated on what you might do in one year of action? No. Like when you hire a coach, you're essentially hiring a coach, hopefully for a decade. You're hoping that he's going to be your guy indefinitely. And we'll be there till as long as he decides he wants to be there. When you hire Kirby Smart at, say, I don't know, 41 years old, you're hoping that he's there at 80. Now, is that likely? Probably not. Not with the large sums of money these guys are collecting on an annual basis. If you're crazy enough to work until you're 80 and you're making $11 million a year, by all means. Uh, God bless you and God bless whoever handles your financials. But I also look at it, man. Everything, when you look at This past set of coaches, 27 guys were hired in 2021, 2022 coaching carousel. Okay. 27 guys. I just assigned nine A's. Think about that. One third of the coaches that were hired in the previous cycle got A's. That's pretty impressive when you really think about it. I mean, and when I say A's, like nails, great hire, great first year, poised to just continue to accelerate, poised to continue your upward trajectory. That's pretty exciting when you really think about it. A's are hard to come by. 
So the fact that we were just assigned 33% of the class A's is pretty dang impressive. So it really is a testament to all those first-year coaches that had great 2022 campaigns. Now, I will flip those A's in a heartbeat if they let us down here in 2023. I can promise you that. So I appreciate so much you guys being with us here on a Wednesday edition of Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We will continue to churn out content for you. we got the Super Bowl coming up in a few days. Everyone's talking NFL. We're not. We're here with you. We're doing college football, man, because the college football season never sleeps. Interact with the show, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Always CFB on Instagram and Twitter. You can hit me up on my social media, at Greg McElroy. We'll get your questions into the show. We look forward to continuing to talk college football with you. For all of us here, Jack Foster, Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.